Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about film editing and we learn a bunch of stuff from some people that are very, very talented and see what we can take away from them. With me today is yeah. Tyler. Tyler, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Sven? Um, I have a question for you. Okay. What's 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 this off the track thing? Oh, it's funny that you ask. <laughs> it's an upcoming video. It's a film by Brad Olson. He made a documentary about the launch of Final Cut 10 and where we're now. So that tumultuous beginning 2011 when the software was originally launched and everybody hated it and it wasn't usable. And I turned away from it for many years and yeah. how it is revolutionary, how it creates new thinking, works with a new metaphor in terms of the editing and really keeps you more in a flow state while you're editing. So he did a documentary about that. He came over, we talked about it, we showed some scenes. Oh, very cool. Sort of going back, talking about the software, what works, what doesn't, but really it's more about really the what does it take to create change and how to change from a horse to a car, basically. Yeah, I saw that documentary with you, I believe, at Lacey Pug. You did. And I also lived it with you, your transition to Final Cut 10, because I was definitely one of the people. For me, it was a really, really cool documentary to see. And then I kind of realized three quarters of the way through, like, oh, wait, maybe everyone in the world isn't going to have the same experience <laughs> that I'm having watching this. But as someone who's an editor who's been with these softwares literally since the day they were invented, starting with the original Final Cut, it's really cool to kind of see it all laid out. Because a lot of us really weren't even cognizant when all that was going on. So it's kind of cool to see the origins and, and really kind of get to understand the evolution to where we are now. And then also specifically, I, I remember I got stuck with Final Cut 10 very early on. For my own story because I was teaching and the new Final Cut was coming out and I realized, oh, this is going to be the thing that changes the industry, which we all remember. Avid's going to be knocked out. They were neck and neck in terms of who was going to become the industry standard. And I learned it knowing I would have to teach it and then quickly realized after the time I spent that no one was going to want to use this software and all the problems I was having learning it were going to be much bigger problems for everybody else. And there was a huge backlash and... It took years, but I always was a proponent of it only because of the time I'd wasted <laughs> learning it. And I remember trying to trying to push you into it early on. And uh, with the help of our friend Dustin Hughes, eventually succeeded. And now you've never turned back. Exactly. No, it saved me on a project where I didn't have time for ingestion and all that stuff that you usually do. I needed to be cutting the day that I got the footage and it worked out great. I mean, it took me a while to get used to the magic magnetic timeline, yeah. but um, it worked out and I'm really, I'm not going back. I mean, I, I just cut something in Adobe because I had to. I still cut in Avid every once in a while, but if I can choose my editing software, I'm sorry, I'm using Final Cut 10. Yeah, and who knows what the future has to offer or who knows what future sponsors have to offer, but yeah. right now... And there's this, <laughs> there's this argument, it's just a tool, and it's, you shouldn't get too obsessed with your tools, it's, it's what you do with them. But I think by using better tools, or by using the right tool that works for you, you tell better stories. Yeah, and I think also a good segue of that is I can feel people tuning out right now and turning the podcast off, because how dare we be proponents of Final Cut 10, but we are. And I think I, I'm still of the school that I think everyone, every software has tremendous strengths that others don't. Like there's always going to be good reasons to work in Avid, depending on the project. There's always going to be good reasons to work in Premiere, depending on the necessity of 
you know, jumping to After Effects or whatever it might be. Although I totally got screwed by Premiere, but you know, if you don't like the fact that we're into Final Cut 10 and we're pushing our our choices on you, then you're really not going to like the rest of the episode because this week we're reviewing a movie <laughs> that's not a landmark film like we've been talking about. It's not a known, celebrated example of film editing, but I kind of think it fits with what we're trying to do with this podcast, which is do our podcast and kind of come across the stuff that maybe doesn't even influence us. Perhaps it has, but these are things we're kind of stumbling along and finding that are giving us thoughts about editing that we think are unique scenes to look at to kind of discuss editing principles and dissect and stuff like that. And we're really going for it this week with Peter Rabbit. (laughs) And before we get into that, I just really quickly wanted to uh, respond to our Patreon commenters. I have a comment. Yes, yes. So I got an email from a patron. His name is Dennis. And he said, recent subscriber... Proud Patreon member, I'm emailing you quickly to offer my help with something specific, making your next editing analysis podcast more easy to follow along. First, I thought I could take your podcast and sync it to the Jurassic Park clip, but after a few of the pauses and rewinds, it got quite difficult. So I thought that since I believe you have a screen recording software, for the next episode, you could just hit record when you start, click stop at the end, send me that recording, and I take care of the rest. So if this sounds like a good idea, let me know. And Dennis, I think it's a great idea, and I brought up my screen recording software. And when we hit play, before we do that, I'm going to hit record on that as well, send you the clip, and then we'll see what happens. We'll put that up on Patreon as well. Super exciting. And likewise, I would like to share the comment by Wilfredo on the Borat episode, which is, I'm enjoying these podcasts. We're definitely getting our money's worth of content and expertise. Thank you for all you do for the channel. And you're welcome. I'm assuming it was directed at me. Is that... that (laughs) Thank you, Wilfredo. I also wanted to bring up the poster on the Facebook feed who, (laughs) out of nowhere, posted... I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you. Uh, what's a good podcast on editing? Does anyone have one? <laughs> so in the, this guy edits, job, I feel yeah, like. in the this guy edits group, he posted that comment, and I think underneath and above it is a po- podcast post from us. Right. <laughs> so we're failing uh, badly, but if you're enjoying the podcast, get get the word out to your friends, let them listen, uh, play along, because. It's only growing with the listeners. We got some cool, uh, an offer for some cool assistance from Dennis. So yeah, we're open to anything, any and all comments. Yeah, we'll do anything. Enjoy them. And I think, uh, Tyler, I'm going to bet you might be surprised about the scene I'm going to bring next time because I got some some ideas. I can't wait. Is it going to be a surprise for all? I guess it would have to be. It will have to be. I can't wait. Should we do a setup on Peter Rabbit real quick? Let's do it. Can you do it? Fine, fine. Um, Just really quickly, it's the live action version of Peter Rabbit that was just in theaters earlier this year. It is directed by Will Gluck, who's done a bunch of different studio features, mostly comedy, and it stars James Corden as the voice of Peter Rabbit. Of course, it's based on the famous children's stories. And I don't want to bring attention to this scene this is just something i I watched with my nephew 
and happened to see the scene and was like, oh, that's that's interesting that that's going on. You don't see that that often and then realize, hey, that's a good thing to bring to the podcast. And what was going on was the way that music was used for a particular clip. And just because I have an issue with it and Sven might not, we will find out in this scene. That doesn't mean I have an issue with the movie. I think this movie, I think it's very well done and it definitely passes the nephew glue test. And what that means is when you have a kid that really wants to go to the pool and you don't want to go to the pool and he's like dead set on going to the pool and a movie comes on that absorbs him. He got sucked into this thing for like 75% of the movie. So I think that speaks very well for it, that it overrode pool desire for that long. And then eventually we succumbed and uh, had to walk away. So I didn't even finish watching the movie, but I thought it was uh, really well done and, and very kind of dark in a weird way too that Sven wouldn't recognize because... Um, Can we cut that out? <laughs> Especially the part about... Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, so I think it was like surprisingly dark and willing to go to kind of scary places and walking that line of like the, you know, deeper Disney movies of the last century where we're starting with characters' deaths and stuff like that, the death of the parents and kind of seeing like this idea of like grabbing the rabbits by the ears and stuff is very haunting. Well, so that's kind of why I was more surprised also to see this music. I have to say, when I watched the scene, I was actually sucked into it. It really want to make me watch the film. I have to admit, I didn't watch it yet. Because mm -hmm. earlier, I watched the trailer. The trailer was so boring and so uninteresting. Yeah. That um, I thought, what? Why are we doing this? But the scene itself, there is something there. It's it, the, mostly the dialogue performance. I think really sucked me. Yeah, in. it has Dom Hall Gleason, who's obviously a great actor. It has Rose Byrne, great actress, and then I guess Margot Robbie's maybe one of the the bunnies. Sam Neill. That that's the kind of through line through all these films. Is Sam Neill is in them somehow <laughs> for every film we've we've done on this cast. The way would that be usually on the podcast is we bring up a YouTube clip that's available to anyone until somebody takes it down. We'll list okay. that link in the description of the podcast, specifically on Patreon. So if you want to watch along, go ahead and find that link on Patreon and search for This Guy Edits, search for the podcast, and the latest post should take you right there. And we are going to queue it, and you can watch along as we experience the scene, and then we might stop and go on a second turn to look at some more detail. Is it safe to say that we also put it on the playlist on the YouTube channel? Uh, yes, I started doing it. I didn't do it for the last one. Yes, absolutely. We will put it in the playlist as well. <laughs> okay, very cool. So just a quick setup of this scene is is the, the infamous character of Mr. McGregor from the Peter Rabbit series dies early in the film. And <laughs> uh, Peter Rabbit is taking credit for killing him. So you kind of get some sense of where this movie can go. And Dom Hall Gleason's playing a, a younger McGregor who ends up inheriting the farm and we're kind of getting a sense we're being introduced to that character in this scene and he's a character that likes to have the toy store he works at the toilets to be so clean that he can literally drink water out of them which is interrupted for him to go and be told he is not receiving the promotion he expected so he doesn't receive the promotion walks out and encounters the guy that got the promotion and that's going to lead to what we are about to see which is we're going to start at 206 does that sound good Sven? sounds good so we're not watching the whole scene we're just going to 206 in the current link and it's as dom hall gleason's rounding the corner at harrods you ready yes in three two sorry i'm sorry sir right. so he's coming time. around the corner he didn't get the promotion what happened to 
And then here's the disgusting slacker that didn't get his that got his job that he wanted. I was in Ibiza last night. <laughs> Heavy lies the crown, yeah? Great actor. I don't know who he is. <laughs> I'm taking a break. I'll be in my big office. And so now it's boiling in Thomas McGregor. And he has this meltdown, which is where this music cue comes in. And that's what kind of threw me, was the way that this music is being used. It feels to me like it really deflates this scene. Like, I think it's fun music, I think it's entertaining, but yeah, I wonder it didn't feel why. motivated. And they don't really play it up, so you know it's a catchy it. tune, but I don't... I, I, it doesn't. It slips my mind what the actual line in the song is, and right. what the relationship would be between the scene and that song, because it seems like there might not be any. Yeah, and I think it's what I want to use it as is a good opportunity to talk about how to use music, because that's that's music that in no way reflects the the inner turmoil of the character, which can be good. And music being used as a counterpoint is great in a lot of movies, like Goodfellas is one example where you have music being played that's very, very, very opposite of what's going on. And that kind of makes it a little more haunting during a murder scene or something like that. But something about the way that this is used, it, it's, kind of, it's, it's very energetic and it's cut fun, but it's being used to kind of make like a, you know, like an energetic fun scene out of this trashing of the store when it's really like the character, it's like the inciting incident for his arc. Yeah, I'm just watching back the scene again just to look at it without sound. Sometimes it's really good to watch the editing or any of the other crafts in filmmaking without the sound. Somehow it makes you actually watch it more as opposed to experience it. There's so much good stuff going on in that scene, I feel like, that he's like punching this bear and then he kisses right. it afterwards and keeps punching it. I think the actor is really, right. really amazing. So, yeah, do you know what that song is? I mean, it's on my tongue and I can't sing, but I just... I don't know. Um, I mean, it's clearly there is, like, fun stuff about the scene. Like, he's, you know, he's breaking stuff and he's punching out a puppet, but it's weird. It just doesn't feel like the way the song drops out when he goes in for the kiss and stuff. It just doesn't feel connected to what's going on at all, to me. Yeah. And I think some of it has to do with the genre, which is kind of a slippery slope. And this isn't, like, a reflection on the filmmakers or anything like that. You never know what choice is how to be made or what comes back from the screening or maybe ultimately this was the right choice for his arc or maybe it seemed too weird him punching out the puppet and stuff if you didn't make it indicate that it was really clear and fun with the music but it just doesn't uh, fit or mesh up for me and I think it's always good to not have the music tell the audience what to feel which is definitely what I feel this music is doing yeah looking for the song <laughs> And it's funny because you see this with movies aimed at a younger audience. And I know sound mixers that have had issues with movies, a recent children's movie that came out that had music that came in that was just, just didn't fit at all and had to remix it a few weeks before it came out, uh, rescore the entire movie. And I do think that there is a prerogative with certain types of children movies to dumb it down a little for the audience of children. But, you know, when you have a movie that's dealing with like 
death and kind of adult themes anyways. It's just kind of surprising that, that they had to go this far with this one. I was just looking at the soundtrack and trying to figure out which song it might be. Yeah, there's a lot of music. Then there's a lot of music used at other points in the film that work really well, making incredibly dramatic violence and explosions and stuff, keeping it a little fun and entertaining. So what do, what do I think about this? the use of the song? I think it's wrong. I, don't, I would love to see the scene without the uh, music to see what's missing. Is it lacking energy? Is that what happened? And so they decided we need to spice it up. We need to like bring some fun. I mean, that song also is like a hip, very current teen popper kind of song to me. Right. It's not really the energy that I... It's like it's so upbeat and happy. And he's sort of breaking down here. I, I understand they want to make it funny. It's comedic. And maybe that's what was lacking. Is that scene maybe didn't, didn't quite work on that level and it sort of just comes in and goes out i feel like it makes me very aware of it and that's maybe one of the reasons why they kept mixing it down more so you can't really decipher what the words are it just helps a little atmospherically and then it's it's out again it's it's right. something that i try not to do to have a cue that's just five seconds and then we're out unless it's a sting or something very where you're super aware of it here it makes me be annoyed right because it takes away from everything else that's working in that scene i think the actor is great i think the writing is amazing especially if you watch everything before leading up to that the way that he goes mm -hmm. through the store and he's like talking right. to all the employees why the rocket has to be at a certain degree angle all these details i think that's fantastic and that's a great Great scene, great writing in the scene, and then the execution is great. Ultimately, who knows? Maybe it was a choice that had to be made because otherwise his arc is too dark or something like that. But it certainly was like, yeah, especially like you're saying, the way things have been delivered up to that point, you're like ready for like, oh, this is this dude's going to melt down. And then it's like, no, it's fine. I mean, I really thought I, w I was very impressed by the story of this film where it was willing to go and the predicament that that peter ends up in that's one thing i like about children's movies when we get an excuse to see them is a lot more thought has gone into the writing than goes into big release pg-13 movies yeah what i really also like about i just started watching the scene again from the beginning is the use of compression of time in here mm -hmm. how they go through all the beats like he's walking into the store there's some jump cuts here with his entourage behind him and then he goes through like three steps one was the rocket that i talked about the mm -hmm. next one is he's fluffing up a, a mini pillow from a playhouse and then he goes <laughs> to the toilet and he's cleaning the toilet and then he takes a straw and is about to take a drink from it the way that it moves <laughs> is you as an audience are super engaged there's no downtime there's no ending a beat we are ending each beat on a high as opposed to it fizzles and then we move to the next thing. It ramps up again and fizzles. It sets up the joke, it plays the joke, it moves on to the next thing. That's storytelling at its best in terms of doing stuff like this in, in a film and it just moves quickly and I'm super engaged. I just want and to keep this, watching. At this point in the film, it's I would say it's well over 10 minutes into the movie, and this is the entire setup of the antagonist of the film. This is all we've seen of him. We learn everything about him that we need to. We learn what he wants, who he is. I mean, it's just a great example of setting up a character, which may be added to my <laughs> disappointment. Of. That's great. How many minutes into the film is this scene, did you say? I, I would say like 10 or 15. Oh, by the way, it's on Netflix. 
<laughs> oh, good. I'll definitely check it out. It's funny because I was going to compare this this scene to more successful examples of this in children's movies and I think that Pixar movies and stuff like that never really have this issue in terms of cheating with the music at all and the only place you really see it a lot clearly is in you know specific demographically aimed films mm-hmm. um, or movies that aren't working so totally and it's like when you have a montage like that with music it has a chance to be like because that's like a great song to cut to and it has a chance of being like a really memorable montage but it's just like nope <laughs> this is being misused yeah loudly and it's such a shame because that song is probably they had to pay big bucks for it and they use it for five seconds. Like, I almost think you could have no music, just using the footage that they have, That's him turn saying. around and walk over, hear a crash, and just cut to him being let out. Yep. I, don't, I mean, there's a lot of ways to play with it. You could even do that as we'll do it as a mini podcast editing challenge if you want to try this, but a lot of times in sound design classes, you strip every you just are given silent footage and you have to not only ADR but also create the music to create the final soundtrack and that this is a movie that's very fitting for that because you don't need to do any ADR it's very quick so maybe if you're interested in experimenting with sound design take this clip just purely for that breakdown using the same song or a different song see if you can design the sound in a way that makes it more fitting for what happens without changing the cuts brilliant we should do that. Exactly. You should do that. Yeah. The pr- and we'll feature one of those versions if we have one, and the person that is being featured gets a T-shirt. How's that? Anyone who does it is going to get it posted. We'll say, we'll say that right now. It's a it's a podcast exclusive challenge. But not <laughs> anyone is going to get a T-shirt. Yeah, you're not only one T-shirt, and it will be. A I'm just. <laughs> you just want to have stuff to cut out. Right? Okay, well, that sounds fun. I mean, I'm looking forward to next week's surprise episode. Yeah, I'm going to give you a hint. Barbara Streisand. Okay, very cool. If you enjoyed what you heard here, please tell a friend about it. Spread the word. If you have fellow filmmakers interested in talking about specific editing examples, if you have movies you would like or scenes that strike you in a certain way that you'd like us to take a look at, please send them because that makes it fun for us. Absolutely. It actually really is an interesting little task every week for us to look at a scene and think about it as opposed to just watch it as an audience member because usually for me at least when i'm watching films i never think about the editing i just experience Mm -hmm. it and whether i enjoy it or not sort of then lets me think okay it's probably edited well but by looking at these scenes and learning a little bit about it it does actually i feel like it it's helping my work and hopefully it's helping yours as well. And I just added that that's an incredibly valuable skill to build up and necessary as an editor, that ability to switch on and off from editing mode, because that's the only way you can really edit and look at something and, and know instinctually if it's hitting you wrong and if you need to reanalyze it. Totally. It's an expert skill to be a professional audience member as an editor. I remember it was very torturous not to have it. Oh, I hated that. Good okay, well, thanks to Curta for the music and happy editing. Yeah, and subscribe on Stitcher or Spotify or the iTunes Store. Cool beans. All right, 36 minutes on basically one edit. Right. <laughs> but I definitely want to see the movie now. And I should have beforehand, but it's a crazy week.